Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. I'm Jim Watkins. Thank you again for being here. And I am going to be talking about in this podcast the gift of revelation and go into some detail about what an epical revelation is uh, and, and how it relates to the Urantia book and therefore how it relates to these podcasts. Um, the, the gift of revelation, as we've talked about before, has to do with revealing new information in much the same way that a computer gets a software upgrade. Because as people or computers evolve and get more complicated and get more intricate, it is able to process more complex information. And that information is designed to broaden the capabilities of the subject, the human or the computer. And so Revelation as I read from paper 92, section 4, is evolutionary but always progressive. Down through the ages of a world's history, the revelations of religion are ever-expanding and successively um, more enlightening. It is the mission of Revelation to sort and censor the successive religions of evolution. But if Revelation is to exalt and upstep the religions of evolution— then must such divine visitations portray teachings which are not too far removed from the thought and reactions of the age in which they are presented. So in understanding this, that revelation always keeps in touch with evolution. Always must the religion of revelation be limited by man's capacity of receptivity. That's a nice way of saying we can never tell you more than you can understand. And so, um, in my walk this morning, it, it occurred to me, sometimes it's good to take the basic approach with these podcasts, and I, and I full well know that probably a good majority of people who, who listen or have listened to these Urantia Radio podcasts are somewhat familiar with the Urantia book. On the other hand, I'm sure that there are a number of people who tune in, and they don't really know anything about the Urantia book, and they just happen to through one avenue or another, maybe the subject matter appealed to them, or maybe they looked up a keyword, and here you are, you're listening to these podcasts. And so I want to take a step back, and for those uh, beginners, uh, those people who haven't had a real opportunity really to delve into the Arantia book, or even what the Arantia book is, I want to go back a few steps and over the course of the next few episodes, just go over the, the basics, the basics of what a revelation is and what this book claims to be. It's, it's relevant to the discussion. What is a revelation? Well, we've just talked about that, right? Revelation is an evolutionary but always progressive mechanism. It is ever-expanding and enlightening. So let's take the example of Jesus. Jesus was a revelation. Now, why was he a revelation? Well, Jesus was a revelation because he presented truth that had previously not been presented. What was that truth? Well, that truth was that all men and women, by faith, are the spirit children of a loving creator. And through that connection or through that association, all men and women are brothers through the Spirit. That was a revelation 
in AD 25. Uh, most of, uh, of the people then were superstitious. Their religion represented their attempt at spirituality, but it was evolutionary. It had come up through trial and error. It had, if you go back to all of our old customs and all of our old religions, every single thing that you do when you're in church started out as something else. It was an evolutionary process. There might have been perhaps an old pagan religion where you had followers who perform uh, certain acts or rituals. And as they converted over down through these successive ages to other religions, they would bring their, their old ways with them. This is what I refer to when I talk about pouring new wine into old wineskins. We can't help but to take our prejudice and our bias and our customs and bring them into the new religions. Whenever, whenever we receive a revelation, even in the case of Jesus, the very first thing we did was we poured all of that information into old wineskins. You know, the whole notion of, of repentance, uh, of, of atonement, the atonement doctrine, those were, pre, those were evolutionary ideas. This idea that we had to somehow appease the gods by admitting our imperfections, or that because life would would deal us such a crucial hard blow, it must have been because we deserved it, and therefore we have to we have to sacrifice in order to appease the ghost world or God. So you see that we we tend to as human beings always bring the luggage with us. We always bring our experiences with us when, whenever we're trying to interpret new truth. And what Jesus said was, you don't have to have all of that. There's just one idea that you need to concentrate on, and that is that God loves you, and God is in you, and you are in him. And through that relationship, everyone around you becomes a family member. Because you would... If you follow God and you serve God and you follow his will, then what does that translate to? It simply means to share the inner life with God, know that he is in you, and then go out and serve other people and spend your life serving that cause. And that was a very simple yet meaningful message. And it, for the first time, people heard those words and they, they loved Jesus because he set them free. They no longer had to listen to the priests and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the priests. Never, they, didn't, they were no longer slave to the bondage of religious practice. So that was the revelation of, of Jesus, the revelation of the Father to us as well as the, the experience of hum, human life to the Father has lived in the life of Jesus. So that's what the Arantia book tells us. Now, maybe that in itself is a revelation. May, maybe the fourth part of the Arantia book is indeed a re-representation of the original fourth revelation. There, there are many, many quotes 
within the fourth part of the book, particularly towards the end, that say, what a wonderful thing if all of humanity could again witness the, the, the rising of, of the life of this man, uh, the resurrection of the life of this man. And they could read it for themselves, and they no longer had to go hear someone else's interpretation. They could actually just read it for themselves. So the revelators, the ones of the authors that put together the Arantia book, are hopeful that the gift of, of that particular re-revelation, re-representation of the life and teachings of Jesus will someday transform just as he did when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. So we're talking about the gift of revelation and what is a revelation. The Arantia book claims to be the fifth epical revelation of new truth. Let me continue reading from paper 92, uh, paragraph 4, or section 4, paragraph 3. Evolutionary religion is sentimental, not logical. It is man's reaction to belief in a hypothetical ghost-spirit world. The human being reflex, excited by the realization and the fear of the unknown. Revelatory religion is propounded by the real spiritual world. It is the response of the super-intellectual cosmos to the mortal hunger to believe in and depend on the universal deities. The universal deities are the three persons of deity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Those are the only deities. Evolutionary religion pictures the circuitous gropings of humanity in quest of truth. Revelatory religion is that very truth. Now, they go on to say that there were five epical revelations, meaning that there were certain revelations that punctuated that time, and from then, subsequently, revelation became part of the experience of human beings. And it's kind of a complicated way of saying that a new revelation came, and it, it helped to advance man's intellectual and spiritual growth. So the first were the Dalmatian teachings that go back to the 500,000 years ago when God was first introduced to savage man. But they're also there, the work of the staff of Dalmatia, of the 100 uh, corporeal members of the prince's staff, uh, expanding the revelation of deity. And it was for 300,000 years they tried to teach essentially early man uh, about deity and about functional unity. And it was an impossible task because there was two things. One was that the war in heaven broke out not far into the experiment. And two, Caligastia remained in power and Caligastia threw his lot in with Lucifer. We'll get to that at some point. But needless to say, to say the first epical revelation more or less failed. It, there are remnants of it that we read in the Bible about giants of those days and God coming down and taking men for their... That's, that's all about what remains. And maybe some basic civilization tools like weaving or you know tilling the soil. But most, even they say, except for the work of Van... And by the way, there's a lake named after him in eastern Turkey. The influence of the Dalmatian revelation was practically lost to the whole world. Even the Nodites, remember the land of Nod in the Bible? 
where they sent Cain after he killed his brother. Even the Nodites had forgotten this truth by the time of Adam's arrival. And Adam was the, the second epical revelation, meaning that in about 40,000 years before Christ, Adam and Eve came to the world. They were a revelation of truth. They were the heaven's answer. They were to come here, and they were to elevate man's spiritual appreciation as well as his biological function. Their goal was to upstep humanity, to take him from being a savage beast to a civilized human. And they failed. Uh, and, and there's a whole story and a whole chapter, so much dedicated to that story. So if you're new to the book and you haven't read the story, read it and you'll have a much fuller understanding of what their epical purpose was. And then, of course, we have the third epical revelation, which is the teachings of monotheism to Abraham. And that came by way of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is mentioned in the Bible as the sage of Salem. And the Urantia revelators tell us that the story in the Bible of all the conversations that went on between Abraham and God were, in fact, conversations that he was having with Melchizedek. And who was Melchizedek? Well, basically, Melchizedek is a right-hand man to Christ. And the Urantia book says that the truth was being lost in the human mind. And Melchizedek came in around 2000 B.C. And he taught the one truth of one God. And monotheism took hold within the then Hebrew society. And it was a very small group, maybe 5,000 people at the most. And Abraham was a great warrior, but he was also a very insightful man, and he had tremendous leadership qualities. So Melchizedek chose him as his primary pupil. And in all of those conversations that Melchizedek has about giving up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, in favor of the godly kingdom, because Melchizedek knew that Abraham would be the first in a long line of prophets. And so Melchizedek taught Abraham advanced truth. And those truths permeated the world. And they infected almost every other belief system. So the legacy of Melchizedek is and was the idea of one God over many. That was his epical revelatory contribution. And this was about, uh, as I said, about 2,000 years ago. That was the third epical revelation. So then we have Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm reading now from the Urantia book. Christ Michael presented for the fourth time to Urantia the concept of God as the universal Father. And this teaching has generally persisted ever since. The essence of his teaching was love and service, the loving worship which a creature's son or daughter voluntarily gives in recognition of and responds to the loving ministry of God his Father. The free will service of such creature sons bestow upon their brethren in the joyous realization that in this service they are likewise serving God the Father. And that was the revelation of Christ, the fourth epical 
revelation, and there's much more to that story. Why else would they dedicate almost a third of the Arantra papers to his life? And then we come upon the fifth epical revelation. The fifth epical revelation. So now we have some sense of what an epical revelation is. It's an answer from the heavens. It's man's thirst for hunger, for truth, and it's the heaven's response. And so let me read what the book says about its own revelatory importance. The papers of which this is one constitute the most recent presentation of truth to the mortals of Urantia. These papers differ from all previous revelations, for they are not the work of a single universe personality, but a composite presentation by many beings. But no revelation short of the attainment of the Universal Father can ever be complete. All other celestial ministrations are no more than partial, transient, and practically adapted to local conditions in time and space. While such admissions as this may possibly detract from the immediate force and authority of all revelations, the time has arrived on Urantia, and you wonder why has the time arrived on Urantia, on Urantia. When it is advisable to make such frank statements, even at the risk of weakening the future influence and authority of this, the most recent of the revelations of truth to the mortal races of Urantia. And so, in presenting this idea to us, what they're saying is the, evol- the evolutionary process continues and the revelatory process continues. Now, I've thought about this, and I know a lot of people in the Arantia community have had discussions about why do they give us a book? Uh, why not send more of them? I mean, they certainly sent Jesus, and they certainly sent Melchizedek, and they certainly sent Adam and Eve, and they sent Calgastia and his hundred staff members. Why did they send us a book this time? Well, I could think of two good reasons. One is because in every other instance where, uh, it, with maybe the exception of Melchizedek, there was tragedy. Tragedy in the sense that we didn't know what to do with the truth. It was too much for us. Adam and Eve fault defaulted, and we gained a lot from them. And f- for a lot of reasons, we're grateful and thankful for their contribution. But it was a default from the divine plan. And had they not defaulted, they would still be here today. And we would be looking at them with the same adornment that we might give, say, a king and a queen of a foreign country. They would be the spiritual rulers of our world. Melchizedek was never meant to stay for a long period of time. He was simply here to achieve an emergency bestowal to prevent the loss of truth so that we would be better prepared for Christ. And we were. And that message was so contaminating and its appeal was so great, everybody got on board, the Greeks, And so Jesus' message did grow, and Christianity is a result of that message. So then the question is, well, what will the Arantia book eventually spawn? If we were to look 500, 1,000 years down the road, where is this book going to end up? Will it be suppressed? Will it be hidden? Will it be fragmented? Will it be stolen? 
Uh, will it be burned? Uh, one thing that humans do have a propensity of doing, which is we do worship our books. So it could have been in the wisdom of the revelators to give us a book for that purpose, because they knew that over time, if it was held inviolate, which is one of the purposes of the Arantia Foundation, is to keep the book intact, uh, then over time, it's most likely going to develop into a, a community. It already is. I mean, there are probably several hundred thousand people now around the world that read the Arantia book, maybe more, um, several hundred thousand, maybe even a million. And that will continue to grow. It will prepare us for a future revelation. That I'm sure of. And that will probably come, in, and even the Arantia book authors explain this, that will come in the form of a bestowal magisterial mission from an avonal son. Melchizedek could reappear. Adam and Eve could return, although I doubt it. And most likely Jesus will come again. It may not be the next visitation, but it could be a subsequent Jesus says, I'll return when everybody can see me. And he's, he never struck me as anybody who was in a hurry. And so now you have a sense of what the revelation is. A revelation is new truth. In the next podcast, we'll take a look at what that revelation is. What was revealed in the Arantia book? What are the key important concepts that are promoted in the Arantia book? So we know, for example... Melchizedek tried to teach the one God concept, and it caught on. Jesus taught us that God was our Father, so he personalized deity. Adam and Eve tried to do that, but theirs was more of a biological as well as an intellectual exercise, trying to teach us the basics of family and organization and community and faith. And they did teach us a little bit about their origins, but who would have understood 40,000 years ago what they were talking about? So their only chance at, at truly having an impact, an epical impact, was to create family and to promote family as the single unit by which you would base your community and then ultimately your civilization. So they were basically heaven's gift of the first family. So the Urantia Papers is revelatory. It presents a tremendous amount of revelatory information. Among that is is how the universe is constructed. And we're going to get into that in the next segment. So we'll look forward to that in the next podcast. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>